Hey, Sincere, so good to see you. Not really, you're not here. Anyway, I feel like um, I, I want to reach this message out with uh, full of hope, full of faith that you're being blessed every time that we have someone speak into, into our series, into our uh, church. Uh, this all comes out because we, there's no way of verification of anything, right? So everything goes into, hey, I trust in the Lord. It's doing something in your heart. It's doing something right now in your house. And um, as I start this, I wanted to make sure that I preface it by saying that this is more of a, less of a teaching, more of a prophetic declaration. So I'll be, so let's see it like that, like a prophetic um, invitation to the next season. And um, we're going to go back into our House of Acts series. And um, we're going to start with Acts 9.32. So if you can go ahead and open your Bibles there, we are going to read a little bit about what Peter was doing in that time. Obviously, as you know, Acts was written by Luke. But Luke found that it was important to write this down. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles there. Now as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make up your bed. Immediately he got up. And all who lived at Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which uh, translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. When, and when they had washed her body, they said, they said it in an upper room. Since Lita was near Joppa, the disciples having heard Peter was there, they sent two men in, to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. If this story sounds a little bit familiar is because we've heard this story before uh, in, with another character. But when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room and all the windows stood beside him. All the widows stood, be not windows, widows stood beside him weeping and, sh and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. But, Dor but Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with, an, with a tanner named Simon. So when I started reading this verse, I, I was wondering and asking the Lord, what do you want me to, to teach on? What do you want me to uh, share on this verse, right? Because it's, it's just a, a recollection of events just like Acts is. It's just a recollection of events. And if we see it just like that, then it's, what do we do with this, all right? Why did Luke thought that it was important to record this? So it just made me realize the importance of testimonies. I think in our church, we've made a huge point of um, maintaining uh, the importance of testimonies, really aware, and making everyone unknown of what's going on around us. So. I want to hit on five major points that came to my mind as to why these stories of God showing up are important and what they remind us of, right? So number one, in this story, we can see that number one, Jesus is the standard. He sets the standard. When Jesus came to earth, everything he did, he intended us to see it as our floor. So that was his floor. 
so that we could start building from there. Like his, his roof, that's our floor. That's what I mean. So from, if we read at John 14, 12, it says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do works I have been doing. So what? This is Jesus talking. And they will do even greater than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorifying the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. This is Jesus talking and giving the promise that that's what he's going to be doing. See, what testimonies do is that they show us that we're living in a continuation of what he started. As I started, as I prefaced before I started reading the passage, I think Luke is writing something similar to what happened before. If you look at Luke 8, 41, uh, which is written before Acts, you read that Jesus, while he was speaking with someone, he came to the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died, do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, do not be afraid any longer, only believe and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, stop weeping for she has not died, but, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. Knowing that she had died, he however took her by the hand and called saying, child arise. And her spirit returned and she got up immediately and she gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. Do you see the relation? Luke wrote this before Acts happened before he wrote Acts to Theophilus. And, and Peter was part of this event. He was part of this testimony. So Peter took upon himself something that he saw and he did it again. And Luke saw the importance of showing how what Jesus had done in the past was also happening now in Acts. What's the continuation of the whole thing, right? Because when we stop reminding ourselves that Jesus is the standard of what he can do, we start lowering our requests. We start, lo we start lowering our prayers. Our prayers become less of, um, less of a belief of what God can do, but what we can imagine that he can do. So it becomes more of a, a, a theology that we understand. We, we, we hold it to our own understanding, which we are not supposed to hold on to, right? We are not supposed to hold on to our understanding, but more to the understanding of whatever he actually is, which is in the Bible, it's the testimony. We, so we know that Luke is a historian, so writing his book, um, he made sure to name the people that got impacted by this, right? This is basically to make sure that you are, understand that he wanted people to go and verify that this actually happened. He wanted to people that were impacted by what Peter did to get verification of like, hey, did you actually get healed? Yes, I did. I was that person. So that's a way of having like, this was verified, right? And I just did the little check. There we go. Um, in Hebrews 13, 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. If we don't remind ourselves that, um, of this passage, of this single truth, we will reduce our prayers to, I don't know, finding parking spots at Target when, when there's no spots. Uh, right now, that's not a problem. I don't know what a recurring problem because no one's going to Target, I guess. Um, my wife is sometimes. But anyway, we reduce our prayers. And he paid for a lot more. And getting testimonies remind us and fills of hope to see him receive his full, his full reward, right? 
Second point that I want to make. Testimonies make us responsible to renew our minds. They make us hungry. When we have a testimony, we're not only hearing a story, but we are being invited to meet a new side of the nature of God. See, um, when we encounter a problem of a similar nature, we are accountable to address the problem with a new perspective. And let me, let me explain better. In Matthew 16, 5, if you start reading that, this is Jesus, so Jesus is perfect theology. <laughs> and the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. And Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They began to discuss this among themselves saying, he said, that because we did not bring any bread, but Jesus aware of this, that you men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousands? On how many baskets of full you picked up? Or seven loaves of the four thousand? How many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he, in fact, was not talking about bread. Um, the disciples were concerned with a problem that Jesus had already given the answer to. They had witnessed that problem being solved. And what did Jesus do? There you go, you can have it in your bracelet. What did Jesus do? He gave them testimonies. He reminded them of what once uh, was done. Because once we taste and see, we're not, we're not able to go back. We're, not, we're accountable. It's like we're receiving a gift with that testimony. We've seen it. And now we are accountable of stewarding that gift. The only thing that the disciples can do is move forward. It's interesting to note that in Matthew, I'm sorry that I'm being so I'm going through so many verses, but in Matthew 16, this is Matthew 16, 5, and it, this whole thing, this whole discussion ends in 12. We, we, fo we follow Matthew uh, 16, and then Simon, well, Peter, our main character of uh, today's verse, has the best revelation that he's ever had. Because Jesus asks them in, in verse 15, he says, but who do you say I am? And Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barhonim, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hates will not overpower it. I just believe that in the moment that Jesus reminded Peter of what he had seen, reminded him of what he had witnessed, it just renewed the mind of, of Peter, and he could address the situation in a different way. And he even got a promise there. He even got uh, a prophetic declaration out of it. So when we honor what God has done, then we receive an honor back and a blessing on it. That's, that's exactly what happened. Like, it, it's like when I honor what God is doing, he's like, oh, you, rem you remembered. I have blessed you because your, your, your mind is renewed. I think there's a, re a relationship there. Uh, Renewing our mind is just changing the way that we think about a problem and we remember how Jesus actually thought about the problem. We, don't, we can't go back. We cannot not address the problem in, a different, in, in, in the way that we would do it without him. All right. So third point. We have two so far, and now we're going to the third. Testimonies are markings in our life. 
I want us to look at uh, Joshua 4. Sorry that we are going into uh, different verses, but I think that it's very important that we look into this. Uh, now, when all the nation, this is what, back when uh, Joshua was thinking the leadership of Israel, they, had, they were still um, rambling around the desert, and finally Joshua was leading them to the promised land, and they had to cross the Jordan. So now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, here, the Jordan, what happened? It parted ways. We've seen that before, just if you don't remember that. Take yourselves 12 men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them saying, take up yourselves 12 stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called 12 men on whom he got appointed from the sons of Israel and one man from each tribe. Joshua said to them, cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. So there's the parting, there's the, the Jordan, in the middle of the Jordan, up with the stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the son of Israel, let this be a sign among you. So when the children asked later, what do these stones mean to you? What do these stones in the middle of the riverbed mean to you? Then you shall sell it to them because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the, of, of the Lord. When he crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So this stone shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. So the little children, when they're walking along the river, they are, and they're asking, what is everything, and they have questions about everything, they can ask about the weird stones in the middle of the Jordan. Why? Because children ask questions and they have wonder and they have curious and they'll keep asking and nagging their parents to give them the story. Why? Because Jesus wants to remind the parents of what he did. Because it's important to remember. Last time, because God knows, he's very wise, last time that Israel, before this, Last time that he took them out and he uh, parted the sea with Moses, they forgot. They literally forgot what had happened. They completely forgot and they kept complaining and they ended up even worshiping the wrong, like the idols, creating their own idols in, 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 in Mount Sinai. So what is, what is God saying? I want you to remember, remember what I've done. It's not just signs and wonders that I've done and, and then it's like, oh, happy moment, let's just clap on it. It's markings. It's, it's signs that God was there. That's why Joshua said this time, we're not forgetting. He said, we're not forgetting. Joshua was like, I'm not gonna forget. We need generations to look at those stones and so we're able to inherit the promised land. What happened the last time? They weren't able to, to inherit the promised land. They had to, a whole generation had to go by till they can, they, till, till they had another chance to inherit the promised land. Now, it also brings me to, 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 to realize these markings were necessary to remind them that God was with them because they were about to encounter giants on the promised land. So they were gonna encounter problems there and they needed to be reminded of how God was there in the middle of another situation so that they can renew their mind and apply it again when they encounter the giants. Because I was looking into this and history shows that we can forget things, you know, as a, a human society. Roman concrete, I don't know if you've heard about it, was a material used in, con in construction in ancient, ancient Rome. Uh, 
The Roman concrete was based of hydraulic setting cement. It is, it is durable due to its incorporation of phosphoric ash, which prevents cracks from spreading. By the middle of first century, the material was used frequently, often brick-faced, although variations in aggregated allowed different arrangements of the material. So like all of those structures that you see made by the Romans were made with this cement. And this cement had the, the, the capability of getting stronger by resistance of the sea. So they could build, build their, um, their structures with this cement and it would, by being hit with salt water, it would get stronger and stronger and it keeps getting stronger with the ages. We don't have that technology. The, uh, the Pantheon Dome, the dome, I don't know if Tyler can use uh, his magic to show you what the dome looks like. Um, it, that's what it's, it's reinforced with this concrete. And scientists right now are studying all the materials so that we could try to replicate it because it actually uses even volcanic, um, volcanic materials in it. I don't know, I find it fascinating that a technology like that was completely lost and it's supreme to what we have today. Sometimes we don't keep doing, we, we, we stop telling each other what we have done in the past, what has been achieved in the past, we will forget it, no matter how great it is. There's other cases of this situation. There's a violin family that used to have a technique to make violins that got lost in the family because it was a family secret. You know, now those violins, no one can do it. People try to replicate them, we can't make it. Even, and as I was preparing this, um, even God likes to be reminded. If you look in Isaiah 38, I told you there was a lot of Bible today. In Isaiah 38, but this is a good story. Um, Hezekiah, the king, is told by a prophet, by, uh, by Isaiah, <laughs> uh, that he will die soon. That uh, he's, he's, uh, he has a disease and it's by the Lord and he should put his house in order. And the prophet gives the, 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 the prophetic word to him. And as he's leaving, Hezekiah reaches out to the Lord and says, hey, don't you remember how I clean out the altars in the high places? Don't you remember how I kept your word? Don't you remember how we were uh, close as friends and I was your servant? So Hezekiah pled to God. And as this prophet is leaving the palace, I imagine him leaving the hallway, the Lord speaks to him. Isaiah and says, go back. He goes back to, to Hezekiah and tells Hezekiah, actually the Lord has healed you now and gives him 15 years extra of, of life. And that's the promise. And he even blesses him in that moment because God, God, God makes himself vulnerable to be re reminded. It's not that he forgot. It's just that he wants us to remind him of what we've had. That's how important it is for us to remember. All right, moving on. Now, point number four, our experience does not dictate our uh, theology. I mean, this has been a great point that Alex has really hit. And I think that we uh, in our church, we remind ourselves and we make ourselves proud of it, of teaching on it. Um, but I think that we can't forget it. The testimonies need to be constantly set so that we can have this point right home. Um, why? Because God constantly does things that offend the mind. Jesus never did a miracle the same way. He wasn't concerned with maintaining a method. He wasn't concerned of 
um, I want you to learn the one, two, three. Even though that I'm naming you steps right now, it's not steps, I'm wondering, whatever. In, <laughs> he wasn't concerned with a method. If you look in, in Acts 9.32, even Peter changes things up a bit this time with, uh, in, in his ministry by healing these people. He changed it by being himself the one that prays for, for the sick. He does something different. We can't limit God to our own understanding. If we hear a testimony and we question God on like, is that you? Then we're not receiving it like a child would. We're receiving it like a Pharisee does. The Pharisee spirit is the one that questions, is that how really God moves? It's not concerned with, wow, that person got healed. It's not concerned with the results. It's concerned with, would that be God? With that, that blessing, I'm not concerned about the result. I'm, cons I'm concerned with the rules. I'm concerned with method. I'm concerned with uh, following the steps. But in Psalm 115, he says, it says, uh, God does as he pleases. I used to share testimonies, like weird testimonies to my friends. When, I when we moved to Portland, I was interested in finding, finding my people, finding the people that I could run with. And I would purposely lead the conversation when, well, we were in burgers or something. I would lead the conversation to uh, a shaky point where I would share some testimonies that I've heard. And if, if, if I saw that the person was interested and was hungry about it, I would keep on going till I could find the point where they were like, okay, I, I, I want to know more, right? Um, I did this so I could find people that I can invest in. It was the people that would move away from the offense, move away from their own experience. It was the people that were still hungry. They were the people that were not limiting what God could do to their own understanding. I think it's, it's very important that we get that every time that we're um, giving a testimony. Now the fifth point and, and the point that I want us to really stay on is that he will do it again. If you haven't noticed, this whole teaching has been a long prophetic word for you to remind you of what he has done. Especially in this season, he's the same today. He's the same to be today, even with COVID going out, it's the same. You know the verse and you probably know the interpretation back, uh, um, back, to, back to Acts 9. I truly believe that it's the reason Luke mentioned the testimonies because it was a prophetic declaration he wanted, he wanted to write those, those testimonies because he wanted to make sure that those testimonies kept on happening. It wasn't the purpose of Acts. Actually, I was reading uh, Grasping God's Word, which is an analysis on uh, how to read Acts. And in that section, they were saying, okay, if we have, if we see Luke writing the, Luke, the, 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 um, the Gospel of Luke and then Acts as the, as the, as the next step, and we just see it as a historic recollection, then we're gonna miss the whole point of him trying to launch us into this is, keeps on happening. Because he's purposely putting those testimonies as a prophetic declaration that God's gonna do it again. You know the verse, as I mentioned before, uh, Revelation 19.10, we've said it a lot in church. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What means is that every testimony where Jesus was involved, he's prophesying that he will do it again. Even my sales office gets it. 
in my sales office every Friday, we have a meeting at the end of the day at 2.30 and we share the wins. We share the wins of the day. And it's very, very important for all the managers and leadership to make sure that we have wins, that we have someone sharing something that is going on good. Why? Because we want to give hope. We want to give the, obviously, make sure that everyone knows that we're selling and that we're moving forward, especially in this season. Like, are you selling during this season? Yes, we are. So we got to make sure that we're sharing those testimonies because we want it to be replicated. The more we share wins, the more people start selling and selling and doing more. It's just, it's, it's just the nature of hope that it keeps spraying through there. Anyway, that's, that's, I feel like what Luke is doing here in Acts 9. Everything that God has his hand on is a prophetic declaration that he will do it again. I have a list on my phone. I wrote down, I make sure that I wrote down all the testimonies that I had throughout my life that I could remember. Because as I mentioned before, and let me go back into my, all, my, all my points. Number one, Jesus sets the standard. Number two, testimonies make us responsible to renew our minds. Basically, they make us hungry. Number three, testimonies are markings in our life. Four, our experience doesn't dictate our theology. And five, he will do it again. So I have all these testimonies because I'm making myself, number one, I want to hold these as jewels, jewels that I can, the treasures that I can use whenever the situation is looking grim, whenever the situation is looking against me. And then I can go back into those testimonies and remember he was there. He was there in Sands Hill when we prayed for that girl that needed healing for her allergies, for that lady that had a problem in her stomach, for that... Uh, for Molly when she needed, when her leg was in different sizes and he, um, he made it grow to match it. That uh, constant knees being healed, back pains being healed, all of those, we, I need to be reminded of them so that when I come to, when someone comes and asks for prayer, normally what I do, the first thing that I do is I, I just remind myself, I saw this before. And if I don't, I heard about this before. And if I haven't heard about that before, Jesus, is perfect theology. Jesus did not see a problem where he was not speaking hope on. So I'm gonna use what he's put in my heart, but the belief that he's put in my heart to actually address this because he had, he took death. So there's nothing, there's nothing that cannot be touched by him. Um, yeah, so I have that list and I encourage you to do that. At the end of this uh, sermon, I'm gonna have everyone take down notes of testimonies where you remind yourself of this. Now, what is the testimony that I'm using to pray for the church right now? And it's one that John Tyson uh, shared and Austin Smith, our prayer deacon, reminded me of. Um, it's about John Fraser, the missionary. He used to work in, in China. And I'm just gonna read you the, 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 the last part, portion. John Fraser discovered that his converts in the Highlands villages had prospered during the winter. Hold on before I go there. So John Strasser was um, addressing, going after um, villages that were in Lisu. And they were in the back, like a hundred miles from Wuhan, in the region of Wuhan in China. And he couldn't go into those villages because uh, the storm winds and the snow um, had covered the pathways and he couldn't get to them. So he decided to do an experiment. 
he had another village that he was actually going and discipling. He was frustrated with God, like, why am I not able to get there? Um, so what he decided to do was, okay, I'm going to pray. All the time that I would have invested in going there, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for my core converts that I can't go and, and teach and disciple. And the other ones, I'm just going to keep on uh, teaching and discipling. And let's see and compare notes after that. So he dedicated that time to pray for them. After the end, he discovered that the ones that uh, in the highland villages had prospered during the winter months, in, in which he had found himself unable to gather with them together. In fact, as he met with them to hear about their winter Bible reading and their isolated prayers, he came to the remarkable conclusion that his converts in the highlands, at least one, had grown far more during the winter than his converts in the lowlands. The converts that he had been busy visiting and gathering all winter long, he recorded his conclusion. If two things stand out clearly in my mind, they're firstly how foolish and weak our newcomers are, and secondly, that God has really chosen them. Thereafter, he determined never to fret when he could not gather people, but always size it as God given invitation to pray for people instead. I feel like that's what we've been doing and that's what my heart has been going after. Always praying for you guys, even though that we cannot gather. It's really, the, that's the invitation that we have right now to become the church. And I can't finish this without reminding us of the most important testimony of all, which is uh, of all of the acts. Bill Johnson puts it this way. Jesus died for us, taking what he, we deserved so that we could receive what he deserved. He died for you, and that testimony is giving life to every person that believes in that testimony. That testimony keeps on lasting, has power. So if you have not received Jesus in your heart, this is the opportunity to receive him as your savior and change the nature completely of your life and receive everlasting life. In Revelation 15, 11, it says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the, our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. I don't know if um, all of this made sense, but what I'm trying to land at, the, at this point is we're in an invitation right now to believe what God has done in the past. Any kind of testimony that you have in your life, any kind of moment that he met you when you met him first, that testimony, that's even the testimony that people need to hear. Those are markings and things that we need to treasure and use to pray into this season. Uh, we are in a season where we're invited into a new revival. I believe that we're coming into a new revival. I'm actually reading this book, uh, Defining Moments, and uh, because it's there's the recollection of all revivalists that are throughout the land. Why am I reading this book? Because right now I cannot gather. I cannot pray for the sick that much or at all. I can, uh, very few can actually teach the gospel and preach the gospel and evangelizing. So what am I doing? I'm reading about the opposite. I'm reading about what God was doing when that opposite was happening, when people were gathering, when people were coming alive. Why? Because here's a portion that I want us to that I want to read to you. History is now looking for a generation who will rise up and live in such a way that it will happen again, revivals. But this time through the accumulated effect of all past revivals and awakenings. We're not looking for a simple repeat of a past event or even an unusual season of divine favor. On the contrary, we're looking for a full expression of God's interventions throughout history to culminate in these days that 
are upon us. We are dependent on this happening to complete what he has assigned us to accomplish, to disciple the nations until the kingdom of this world become the kingdom of a God. That's the invitation that we have today. I feel like that's what we, Luke was inviting the, um, the early church when he wrote Acts 9, that this will be a continuation. It's funny that in the, after Acts 9, it comes back, obviously Acts 10, but that's actually when um, there's another breakthrough of the Holy Spirit, but now to the general population. We're in that point of believing what he has done, treasuring it, and staying fast that he will do it again. And he will do it personally in every one of our hearts. All right, so I'm just gonna pray for you right now. Father, I just declare that we treasure what you've already done for us, that you remind us constantly what you have treasured for us, that you remind us of when you came through, of when you uh, specifically healed the sick and you healed, um, for example, my my mom from Lupus, when you healed, when you gave us uh, Lorna and I our promised house that we wanted, when you, all those things, those, those are testimonies that you can even use right now I'm talking to you. Uh, um, but I ask God that right now, that you inspire everyone that's listening to this to remind themselves of what you've already done so that they can speak it into life and prophesy that you will do it again in this season. Thank you, Father. All right, and before we broke off, um, I just want to, read a few words of knowledge that we had for from our team um so the lord put someone named uh, named cynthia on, on on this person's heart that she was feeling lost just wants to become your home and his presence become what you long for and what you desire also for someone named jessica uh, that she considers herself right now you're in a moment of I, I, not really being known and you do not feel at home. So the Lord wants to bring encouragement and bring you to be known and invite you to a place where you can feel at home with him. And I even uh, want to add, like I see Psalms 27, 4, where you can inhabit his presence for the, um, all of his days. That's just like David was doing it. He, was, he wanted to stay in his presence forever. So Jessica, that's for you. And this is for people who have felt that they haven't been able to connect with God, even though that they have a lot of time. The truth is that in the cross, God showed the length he's willing to go to connect with you, and he desires nothing more than to connect with you. Again, there's an invitation to receive him again into your heart. It doesn't matter that you've lost way, that you move away from him, that you stop believing. This is a moment where he's calling you back. Anyway, thank you so much and bless you.